tonight on Huckabee. Congressman Doug Collins' demand for FBI accountability. Stephen Baldwin premieres his film, The Least of These. And get ready for a hee-haw celebration. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Megan Alexander. Thank you very much and welcome to our show. Now look, I don't know of anyone who doesn't have a little anxiety about a personal health crisis. And adding to the anxiety is the thought that a gallbladder attack, a kidney stone, or a broken arm would take every last dime in one savings account. And if it was a heart attack, a stroke, or cancer, then the fear of a possible terminal illness plus bankruptcy, well, let's face it, that's a legitimate cause for stress. So when politicians of either party promise health care for all, or when they promise something similar to that, I mean, we really want to believe that they mean it just as much as we want to believe in the tooth fairy or unicorns or just as much as we want to believe that we're going to win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. <laughs> Look, universal health care sounds wonderful, and it's often sold in the form of Medicare for all. But I want to tell you what the politicians aren't telling you. Medicare for all would cost about $35 trillion over the next 10 years. I didn't say a million or a billion, 35 trillion. So to put that in perspective, our entire federal budget for everything in all of the federal government is about 4.4 trillion a year. So Medicare for all would just about double all of the federal spending. Now, we are increasing our national debt about a trillion a year already, and we only take in through all of the revenues we get about the amount that Medicare for all would cost. But there's some other questions. For example, who defines what health care even means? I mean, is it dental work? Will it cover only acute emergencies or serious diseases that are life-threatening? Or will it include knee replacements, allergy treatments, physical therapy, carpal tunnel surgery? And will it cover such things as transplants, long-term care, or reconstructive surgery? And here's what you need to never forget when you hear the term single-payer health care. That means the government's going to pay for all your health care. But if they pay for it, they and they alone will get to choose what care you actually receive and whether it costs you nothing, something, or maybe everything. Because if the government is the one providing and paying, maybe you ought to ask the big question I never hear people admit in politics. Who is not involved in your health and health care? Who am I speaking of? Well, I'll tell you who. You and your doctor. I mean, the two people closest to your health and your health care and neither of you are going to set the rules, determine what gets covered and when, or even if your life is still worth saving. Unless you think I'm making some false argument, I want you to remember that right now in the United States, states are proposing and passing laws that will allow a full-term baby who is in the birth canal, minutes away from birth, to be aborted. And if the baby makes it out alive, the mother and doctor would then decide whether to kill it after birth. If a perfectly healthy baby is left to die, I mean, what makes you or me think that we're going to matter enough to the government when we're 70 years old and sick with an expensive disease? I mean, there are a lot of problems that come from the private insurance market. I know that. But the government's role regarding private insurance is to make certain that if you paid for coverage, you at least get it. So what if the one who made the rules also gets to enforce the rules. I mean, who's looking after your interest? Now, there is a way that we can cover everyone, and by the way, it won't even cost much. You know, the far left pushes for Medicare for all, and they also believe that we are not men or women unless we choose to be, and we are whatever we identify as. Heard that before? So folks, if that's the case, it's a simple fix. We all just identify as healthy 21-year-olds 
and we identify as being without age or symptoms, pains, aches, or illness. And please don't say that's stupid because you are not supposed to question how I identify. So there, problem solved. <laughs> and it won't cost us a thing because we will all identify as wealthy as well as healthy. And if our pretending to be a girl when our body and chromosomes say we are a boy really works, well, then pretending that we're healthy should work too. So you're welcome. I've solved that problem the liberal way. This week, my first guest, along with Senator Lindsey Graham, stepped up and called on FBI Director Christopher Wray to explain the aggressive handling of bringing in political advisor Roger Stone. Here now to talk about that headline issue and much more is the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia. Congressman, first of all, welcome to the show. And I want to get right into this issue of uh, the arrest of Roger Stone. It did seem to many of us that it was an extraordinary force uh, or show of force uh, for bringing in a guy that said he was willing to just walk in and, and turn himself in. It is amazing, especially in, in light of everything going on and the things that were going on uh, around the shutdown and, and, you know, Christopher Ray getting on the next day and complaining about, you know, the issues around the shutdown and the, and the agents not getting paid, but yet we send 20-plus agents to a house of a gentleman 60-something years old who has said he would come in, who has said that he has nothing to hide, and, and you know, takes it on as, as one former FBI agent said, it looked like they were raiding a meth lab in the middle of the country. How did CNN know to show up at his house at 5.30 in the morning? They claim it was just good reporting. I, I don't know of anybody who honestly believes they're that good at reporting because they certainly aren't the rest of the week. To be that good of a reporter, I mean, we're looking at somebody who writes, uh, you know, for Pulitzer Prizes every day. This is not happening. Somehow along the way, I believe there was a tip-off from somewhere, and and it was it from the FBI's perspective or not? Again, Mike, this is something though that the American people. I, I don't want to also lose a bigger picture here. Are we seeing a double standard being done here for folks who are associated with this president? Because if you remember, just a few years ago, uh, I don't remember a early morning raid on Robert Menendez, senator from New Jersey's house, when. He he was basically charged with very similar nonviolent issues. Uh, there was a conversation with his attorney. They showed up. They, they arranged it. I don't remember Cheryl Mills getting this kind of a treatment when she was working with uh, Hillary Clinton or even Hillary Clinton getting this kind of treatment. I think it's amazing to me that there seems to be a continuation of a double standard, especially at FBI, that we've seen over the last few years that unfortunately is continuing to this day. And I think a lot of people need to be reminded that Roger Stone was being arrested for lying to Congress. And, uh, you know, some have suggested that if that's the case, then uh, when's John Brennan going to be brought in? When's James Clapper going to be brought in? Huma <laughs> Abedin, you mentioned some others. I, I mean, the double standard is glaring, Congressman, and, and maybe one would even ask, when will members of Congress be brought in for lying to the American people? I mean, that, that could be a question as well for some of your colleagues over there. We're seeing really what it was a, a an unholy or a, a very crooked triumvirate over there with Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Jim Baker, Andy McCabe, all just sort of writing their own rules. And when it comes to this president, when it comes to anything around him, it seems that they want to uh, make a show of it instead of actually what they have done in the past. And really, that undermines the people's trust. When people out here who see how they're treated, how they don't get a break, like Hillary Clinton and many of these others that you just mentioned name, then it says, is it really fair for everybody? What we want to see is it be fair for everybody. And the FBI and DOJ get back to being the unbiased uh, arbiters of the law, not with political bias. Congressman, I want to turn the corner to a topic that has been on fire this week, and that's uh, uh, actions in both the state of New York and the state of Virginia, where late-term abortions uh, are being pushed as okay. Uh, your perspective on this, I think, is very significant and important. You have a special needs uh, child. How did you feel when you saw the governor of Virginia, in a very calm, almost sterile manner, mention taking a baby already born, setting it aside, and then deciding whether the child is going to live or die? This is not an abortion bill. This is a murder bill. This is flat-out murder. When you think about, and people understand that when you're talking about someone who is already dilating, who's already beginning to push, the only way at that point they uh, terminate that pregnancy is physically taking an instrument and stabbing the back of the head of the baby. And every 
a member of the Democratic Party should be called to account on this. Where are they? They've been deathly silent on this in Washington, D.C. This is something that everyone needs to talk about because they're taking it beyond the pale of just simply an abortion bill. This is a murder bill. Congressman, why didn't the Republicans stop the funding of Planned Parenthood when you had the House, the Senate, and the White House? I, I know it's frustrating to a lot of us who are pro-life, and we really believe that with all of the, the marbles in the hands of the Republicans, that the one thing that we might be able to get done is to stop the federal funding of an organization that takes great pride in abortion. Why didn't that happen? I voted to defund Planned Parenthood. I put those bills over to the Senate, and I've watched them die. And it's simply because of the procedural issues that Mitch McConnell will not choose to deal with. He's done some good things on judges and other things, but I believe that we as American people were let down when we let it go to the Senate and they would not take away the procedural issues on these spending bills and others in which we actually address this. So I think it's unfair to characterize all of Congress as not accomplishing something. It's very obvious where this stopped. And when we understand that, then we can begin to, to focus on not only getting our spending house in order, getting the president's wall, doing many other things if they would simply go to the fact that they have the power to change this in the Senate. They've done it with judges. Why don't they do it here? Congressman, thank you very much for being with us. Well, we'll be sure to keep watch with Congressman Collins on the issues that we discussed. Let me encourage you to stay informed, visiting him online, dougcollins.house.gov. You can also follow him on Twitter at Rep. Doug Collins. Now, our announcer, Keith Bilbrey, is away this week. Well, at least he doesn't have the flu. He's on a cruise somewhere. I kind of think he's working as a cabin boy or something. But we are honored to have a great guest announcer. She's an accomplished news correspondent. You can see her work at MeganAlexander.com. You can always catch her on Inside Edition. But tonight, you can catch her right here on our show. Megan, why don't you uh, be so kind to show up Keith Bilbrey and tell our viewers what we've got in store tonight. It's great to be here tonight, Governor. Coming up, tips for an extraordinary life with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Then, Stephen Baldwin premieres his new film. And author Lisa Turkhurst. Plus, Hee Haw alums celebrate its 50th anniversary. All right here on Huckabee. Well, 50 years ago, a group of very well-known and renowned entertainers began producing a CBS television variety show right here in Nashville. Hee Haw was hosted by country music superstars Buck Owens and Roy Clark, and it quickly became a hit for both rural and city folk. Well, tonight we're paying a little tribute to Hee Haw with a few of the original cast members, the Cornfield Friends. And two members of the Cornfield Friends are sitting in with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Please make welcome Jana Jay and Buck Trent. And you're going to be hearing more from them and some other Hee Haw cast members later in the show. Well, my next guest is a noted author and senior pastor of the incredible First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, considered by many to be the mothership of Southern Baptist churches. His latest book is entitled Choosing the Extraordinary Life. I was just with him this past Sunday at First Baptist Dallas, and what a wonderful and loving church family they are. Would you please welcome my good friend, Dr. Robert Jeffress. What a delight to have you here. Well, the tables are turned. Well, I know, <laughs> and, and uh, we're going to have a good time tonight, as mm -hmm. I had such a great time. Your church, First Baptist Dallas, is incredible. Well, I can't ever have you back again, Gub, because they wanted to make you pastor after <laughs> last Sunday, so we can't have that. Well, after about a week, they would decide they didn't want me there after all. But it really is a phenomenal uh, congregation, has been for a long time, 13,000 plus members. Yeah. But a lot of people across America see you regularly as a Fox News contributor. They know that you're close friends with the president. But in the midst of all of the things that you do, you found time to write an extraordinary book called Choosing the Extraordinary 
life. I want to talk about what is an extraordinary life? What does that mean to have an extraordinary life? <laughs> well, it's something other than the ordinary. And you know, Governor, most people are not living an extraordinary life. Uh, I think about the Chicago sewer worker who was asked why he did what he did. He said, well, let me see. I dig the ditch to earn the money to buy the bread, to get the strength, to dig the ditch. And you know, that's how most people, even yeah. Christians, are living their lives. They get up, go to work, come home, eat a little dinner, watch TV, go to bed, and do the same thing over and over again. I think God wants more for our lives than that. And so I took the Old Testament story of Elijah. Uh, the Bible says he was an ordinary person. He wasn't any superhero, no super spiritual guy. He had moments of doubt and disobedience and even depression, and yet God God used him in an extraordinary way. And I took the seven secrets I learned from his life so that we can all experience an extraordinary life. Well, I want you to bust some of those secrets and tell us what some of them would be. There won't be secrets after you tell us, <laughs> yeah, but, try. but what are some of the secrets of getting there as well, he did? The first thing is determining your unique purpose in life. And I hope we have time to come back to that because God created every one of us with unique gifts and interests for a purpose. Secondly, extraordinary people determine to influence their culture. Mm. They're here to make a difference. And then thirdly, waiting on God's timing. Sometimes God has us wait. Sometimes we're in obscurity, but waiting time doesn't have to be wasting time, wasted time. And then fourthly, I say, burn the ships. We mm. have to have that moment like Cortez did. Burn the did ships. That. I love that phrase. Remember when he set his ships on fire yeah. and saying no retreat yeah. was possible. Burn the ships. Decide you're all in for God. And then learn to unleash the power of prayer. You know, uh, uh, prayer is like that uh, electrical socket that energizes us when we put the plug into it. We need to unleash the power of prayer. Then I talk about how to handle bad days. Hmm. You know, extraordinary people have bad days or bad seasons of life when disappointments mount up. And then finally, I say an extraordinary life is one that's or is for people who live their lives with the end in view. They realize how limited our time is here on earth and they concentrate on leaving a legacy. And you write about that, I know, in your book as well. Well, you know, you, you said at the beginning, the first secret was about understanding your unique place. Yeah. See, I think that's very powerful because a lot of people think that if they're not as wealthy as their relatives or their friends, or they're not as famous, or they don't have uh, maybe the same prestigious job, that their life doesn't matter as much. Well, you're saying that's not the definition of not of our all. purpose. Now, we know as, as Christians especially, we all have a purpose to glorify God and to share His love with other people. God has a story He's telling to the world. But Governor, God has a unique story He's writing in our life to tell His story. And I use that word story as an acrostic for the five ways to know your unique purpose. You know, first of all, the S stands for start with Scripture. Now, admittedly, you're not going to find your vocation in the Bible unless you're into shepherding or tax collecting. But reading the Not Bible, yeah. <laughs> but reading the Bible at least helps you understand God's general principles. The T stands for talk to others. You know, I had a ninth grade speech teacher named Miss Fry. She was a tough old woman. But one day she asked me if I'd stay after class. I didn't know what for. And I'll never forget. She said, Jeffress, you're going to be a preacher one day, and it scares the bejeebers out of me because you could sell anybody anything. But she was the first person, mm. Governor, who envisioned for me that I would be a pastor and a preacher. Talk to others. They can help you understand your uniqueness. The O stands for obey your passions. Mm. You know, God gives us unique desires. I mean, he gave you an interest in broadcasting and in government and uh, politics and the church, and he used those passions for his unique purpose. Purpose. So obey your passions or recognize your unique gifts and abilities. What do you do that seems to come naturally? What is it that when you do it, other people say you were born to do that? And then finally, the Y stands for yield to God's leading once you know what that purpose is. Uh, speaking of a life that, that you're doing, you have an extraordinary relationship with the president. You talk to him regularly. He listens to you. Um, well, let's don't go too far. Well, but I mean, he does. <laughs> Tell us something about the president that you have learned in your relationship with him that most people 
do not know. First of all, he's extremely intelligent. I mean, people, you know, want to paint him in the media as a know-nothing or a bombastic, uh, out of control. You don't become a billionaire and president of the United States by being an idiot. I mean, he no, is No, you very, become very somebody brilliant. who ran for president and not a billionaire by being me. That's, that's what happened. But I agree with you. God you know, has a unique purpose for your life. <laughs> and I'm looking for it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to tell our audience, be sure and get the book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life. It's available now at Amazon and other top booksellers. And you can also keep up with Dr. Robert Jeffress and listen to his show, Pathway to Victory, at ptv.org. Now, you can also watch it right here on TBN. And you don't want to miss it. The kind of practical things you heard tonight, you'll get that every single day. You can also learn more about his amazing church at firstdallas.org. All right, Megan, why don't you tell us some more about this extraordinary show tonight? Up next, new stories to make you smile. Film star Stephen Baldwin and Lisa Turkhurst on strength to survive life's worst moments. Plus, the Cornfield Friends celebrate Yeehaw on Huckabee. just have to keep Janet Jay and Buck Trent around for a long time. All right, from a frozen culprit in the Arctic vortex to not-so-simple child's play, we've got the news stories that'll put a smile on your face in a little segment we call In Case You've Missed It. Well, people hitting deer is a problem all across the U.S., but one Arizona man is going to be paying particular attention to those deer crossing signs from now on. Reed Sonell was riding down Mount Lemmon in Tucson about 45 miles an hour on a bike when a deer ran into his bike and sent him flying. A cycling friend caught the venison violence on video. And when questioned later, the animal allegedly said, I have no idea why that guy was speeding downhill so fast. It probably will cost a lot of dough to fix that bike. I wonder if he's still fond of riding. We'll see. Much of America spent this past week shivering through record-setting coal thanks to the polar vortex. Now, ask me, how cold was it? It was colder than the stares you'd get from environmentalists if you deny global warming. That's how cold it was. In fact, it was so cold, the post office said, heck with it, and they canceled mail delivery. But the biggest shock, Princess Elsa from the movie Frozen got arrested in McLean, Illinois. The police department's Facebook page stated that Elsa has been placed under arrest with no bond until further notice. But don't worry, kids. I'm sure Elsa will be released. The police were probably acting for Robert Mueller to intimidate her into testifying against Mr. Freeze. Or it could be that maybe Elsa can just teach special investigator Mueller the song, Let It Go. And then we can be done with all the collusion and countless dollars that have been spent on the big snow job that he's been caught up in. And... All right, finally, some shout-outs to those who deserve them this week. We give a shout-out to State Representative Lee Quam of South Dakota. He introduced a bill that would require student-athletes to abide by the sexual identity of their birth certificate when playing sports. So here's to State Representative Quam and a level playing field for all. Another shout-out to this dear lady for never, ever giving up in the midst of a deep, icy, cold winter. If at first you don't succeed, slide, slide again. God bless her. I don't know if she ever got in her house. And finally, a shout out to our friend, television host and anchor at BluntForceTruth.com, Mr. Chuck Woolery, for reminding us of how quickly a freshman congressman with no experience can forget others who might want to seek office. Chuck tweeted, and I quote, former bartender Ocasio-Cortez doesn't think Howard Schultz has enough experience to be president. 
Even though Howard Schultz grew up in public housing in New York, worked to start a coffee shop that he turned into Starbucks and became a billionaire. And that's just a little fact in that before becoming a member of Congress, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez had the experience of being a bartender, which is the equivalent of working as a barista for Mr. Schultz. <laughs> well, like an apostrophe that's too possessive, we gotta let go for now, but never forget, we read the news. My next guest is an actor that you know from classics like Born on the Fourth of July and The Usual Suspects. His latest film is based on a tragic, true story of religious intolerance. He plays a missionary in rural India. It's called The Least of These, The Graham Stain Story. Here's a little clip, watch. Leprosy is the veil behind which Stains operates. The tool he uses. You Bring me evidence of illegal conversion. I'll give you a permanent position. One day I'll find the proof of him converting the tribals. Who is he? Stains. Tell me! Please welcome the ever-talented Stephen Baldwin. Hey, let me uh, get straight to it, because I think this story is one of the most riveting stories I've ever heard in my life. Tell us who Graham Staines was. Well, Graham Staines uh, in 1999 was an Australian missionary and a doctor who had a clinic for many, many years in Australia, uh, a medical clinic working with leprosy. Uh, now, in the Indian culture, leprosy is a curse uh, to which you are cursed forever. Uh, now, Dr. Graham Staines knew that uh, it was just medical. Uh, so in his 15 years of serving the Indian people, literally, uh, he was a Christian. And unfortunately, through a sequence of very obviously unfortunate events, uh, some radicalized people uh, kind of felt like they needed to teach somebody a lesson, and it turned into uh, something that escalated, and Dr. Graham uh, uh, Staines and his two young boys uh, were killed in 1999. The fascinating thing about the film was his surviving widow wife, Gladys, uh, one of the first statements that she and the surviving daughter uh, made to the media after this horrible incident was that as believers in Jesus Christ, we forgive the people who did this horrible thing. You are a rare bird in that you are an unabashed believer in the film industry. And there aren't many, uh, you know, I mean, I know there are quite a few, but, but in terms of the great numbers, how challenging is it to be able to make films and to be rubbing shoulders with people that you know do not accept your point of view of the world when it comes to faith and Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, um, I made a deal with Jesus, Governor, because uh, I used to you know, ride bulls for movies like Eight Seconds, and uh, uh, I race motorcycles, and I'm a skydiver. I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie, so I made a deal. Really? I, I wouldn't think that with the things you've just described. <laughs> well, I'm a little retired now because my wife said so. But, yeah. um, uh, but uh, I made a covenant with the Lord, Governor. You know, I just said, if you'll reveal yourself to me in a way I know is absolutely true, and it's better than falling towards the planet at 120 feet per second, <laughs> I'm in. Brother, praise God. He kept his end of the deal. Hmm. And I have so much fun going to Hollywood now. <laughs> because, uh, <clears throat> no, I do, I'm, yeah. I, and I'm not even, thanks, thanks. No, no because, because the truth is, I, I started because I had something to say as an artist. And then the money was pretty good. You know, that, that was, that, it wasn't so awful. But now I, I, I go to Hollywood and I see a lot of these folks doing stuff that they're really just, it's just a gig. And they're doing it, you know, they don't love it. You know, I'm just glad that I'm free. Mm. I'm just glad that I, if, I, if I choose to just create Christian content the rest of my life, and that's enough to keep a roof over my head, yeah. that's enough for me now. So um, 
It's just been beyond a blessing to, to have been uh, as successful as it had been uh, already. But uh, a lot of folks are enjoying this film, and, and a lot of people are talking about th this film maybe winning some awards, too. And, and we need to make sure that great films about really, honest-to-goodness heroes yeah. are commercially successful, because if they are, we'll see more films like this. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important that uh, people who have had an illustrious Hollywood career are willing to step into these roles. Because, Stephen, you bring a credibility to the film uh, because of the many movies that you have made. And I want to say thanks for telling this great story. Can't wait to see the film. Thank you, brother. And looking forward to it. And I hope every single person watching us will go to the theater, buy a ticket, and watch this film. The least of these, The Graham Stain Story. It's already in theaters. You can find out where it's showing and more at theleastofthese.movie. And you can keep up with Stephen at stephenbaldwin.com. All right, Megan, what else do we have for tonight? Next, get down to the facts of the matter with Mike Huckabee. Author Lisa Turkhurst brings hope. And there's music and fun with our Hee Haw Tribute on Huckabee. Welcome back. Well, from potential candidates with Starbucks in their eyes to legislating unadulterated insanity, it's time to get down to the facts of the matter. And directly from the pages of MikeHuckabee.com that you can access every single day, here is a story that should make every last American wake up and save lives and this country. Last week, I quoted the prominent media figure who accused President Trump of being an inhuman monster for allegedly wanting to rip children from their mother's arms and throw them in cages. Yet this past week, the humane Democratic Party came under fire from every American with a functioning heart for its shocking embrace of outright infanticide. Legal decisions to rip children from their mother's wombs and throw them in the trash. That is, unless their body parts are valuable for sale. First came the passage of a law in New York by Governor Andrew Cuomo and the Democratic state government legalizing abortion up to the moment of birth. Then came Virginia's Repeal Act, proposed by major Planned Parenthood donation recipient Kathy Tran, that would not only remove all of the restrictions on abortion in the last three months of pregnancy, and even while the mother is in labor, but eliminate informed consent clinic safety standards, even ultrasound requirements. And why? Because studies show that up to 80% of women change their minds about getting an abortion if they see their baby and hear its heartbeat. Virginia Governor Ralph Northrum upped the horror with this quote, and I quote, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what will happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and mother, in quote. Now, to be clear, he's saying that a full-term baby in medical distress after it's been delivered, after it's been delivered, and is alive outside its mother's body should be allowed to just lie there while the mother and doctor debate whether to let it live or just be left to die. Governor Northam, I want to ask you, how can you suggest that doctors and parents should stand around discussing whether to help a live-born baby while it's struggling for its life and not realize how unconscionable that truly is? Nebraska Senator Ben Sass, the author of the Federal Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, called Northrum's comments morally repugnant and said, quote, I don't care what party you're from. If you can't say that it's wrong, to leave babies to die after birth, then get out of public office, end quote. God help this nation if enlightened liberal officials are free to decide whether you live or die. Because if so, we are all in for a short and inhumane life, even if we make it out of the womb in one piece.
All right, we're going to take a look at what's on your mind this week. We get comments from our uh, viewers. This comes to us from James in Montana. He says, Starbucks Howard Schultz has said that he wants to be elected president. He's an amnesty for illegals and potential open borders for migrants guy. So how would his candidacy affect the Democrats' race against President Trump's bid for re-election? Well, I would say this. It probably really helps it. Because there are some Democrats who are not full loon crazy, as some of the candidates are, and he might be attractive to some what I would call traditional Democrats, many of whom are really good, decent, God-fearing American people, and, and think the party has gone too far. So if he pulled votes away from who they might nominate, if they truly are out there beyond the left coast, then it very well could have the impact of helping to reelect the president. Now, finally tonight, we have this from Tom. He comes to us from Iowa. He has an African nation in his thoughts and prayers, and he writes this. He says, I'm confused why the world pays little attention to the genocide in South Sudan. Millions have fled. Thousands have been murdered, leaving orphans, widows, and the country devastated. President Trump has addressed this horror a bit. But what can Americans do to get intervention from our government? Well, I would say to you, one thing that could be done is contact your congressmen and senators and let people know about it. Most people don't even know where South Sudan is. They don't hear about it because the media doesn't talk about it. They're too busy talking about things like Russia collusion and how Roger Stone got arrested. And they sometimes forget that across this world there are people who are being slaughtered, slaughtered. And maybe they're not even paying attention to the babies getting slaughtered right here in our own country. It's a tragedy. And I hope if nothing else you can pray and maybe your church can take a mission trip or send some help. I would also always recommend helping through Samaritan's Purse. We love that organization because we know the money that goes there gets to the people who really need it. And Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse go to South Sudan and regularly help the people who are there. Well, if you've got something on your mind, send us your thoughts, your questions, or even your rants. You can drop me a line at my two cents at tbn.tv. And hopefully, we'll get down to the facts of the matter together. Well, my next guest knows what it is like to feel that God has abandoned you. But she's now helping others through their crises of faith, through her ministry and her latest best-selling book. It's called, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Finding unexpected strength when disappointments leave you shattered. Please welcome Lisa Turkist. <laughs> Lisa, you talk about disappointments. And one of the things I find so refreshing about your writing is that you don't tell people that if they just love God, everything's coming up roses. It's going to be great. They'll never be sick. They'll never have a problem. You don't tell people that. Well, I think it's if you live in this world full of issues and problems, and it's a sin-soaked world, and so you are going to experience disappointment. Anytime you have an expectation that's here and then you have an experience here, this is the fertile ground where disappointments grow. And I think it's really important to help people invite God into those disappointments rather than saying, if you love God, you're never going to have disappointments. But so many people are really angry at God because they had an expectation. It did not get uh, met. Uh, maybe things happened in their professional lives, in their marriage or family, and it broke their hearts. Yeah. And they want to blame God and be angry at God. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to be angry at God? Is it okay to say, hey, God, I'm mad at you about this? Well, I think it's great to pour out your feelings to God and be very honest because that's what it means to have a relationship with Him. And I would reach across the table, anyone that says they're angry at God, and I would hold their hand and say, I understand. I really, I get it. Life is hard. Um, there will be things that happen to you that are just like so difficult to process. So I think we start there. I think we start with just a gentle, I understand. When you started out writing and speaking and and doing social media. Did you have any idea that you would touch women at the level that you do? You know, I think here, here's where I, I think that our connection comes with so many women is that um, 
I love to match whatever issue I'm going through and I pay attention to what other women are going through and then I know that if I can touch a felt need, which is a heartbreak that they have, a question that they have, and it's the same as me, then we can meet right there. Women may be divided on a lot of issues, but we're very united in our tears. Is it hard to be open and honest about things that are deeply personal and painful that you've gone through? It is, it's very hard. However, there's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. Mm. Privacy is for the purpose of healing. Secrecy is for the purpose of hiding. And um, I- That's very powerful. I love that, by the way. Thank you. I, um, you know, I don't want to keep secrets from the people mm. that I minister to because I want them to know I'm going through hard times too. However, I will keep many of the details private. But I think we meet people at their point of pain. And if we can help them feel the pain and in the right way deal with the pain, then they can heal from the pain. And that's, you know, what I desire to do. Lisa, I enjoy having people mm -hmm. that I can talk to who are really honest and candid about what faith is and what that walk is about. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the great ministries that you have is to be really raw and straightforward with believers who are struggling and tell them you're not weird because you have a struggle mm -hmm. and God is still loving you and he's gonna help you through it. Lisa, what a delight to Thank have you, you here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. very, very much. Now there is an important truth. You may turn your back on God, but God will never turn his back on you. All right, right now, here's Megan Alexander to tell you how you can get Lisa's incredible book. The book is It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Finding Unexpected Strength When Disappointments Leave You Shattered. It's available now at Amazon, and you can find much more at lisaturkers.com. Next, there's laughs, memories, and music with our Hee Haw alums. Huckabee will be back in 60 seconds. Well, one of my favorite memories of Hee Haw was the iconic cornfield skit. You remember that. In honor of the cornfield friends being here on the show tonight, Trey and I thought, well, we would have a little fun. So watch this. that every 20 seconds a man gets hit by a car right here in Nashville? Whoa. I bet he's getting really tired of that. Yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. Ow. <laughs> hey, Jenny, you got any secrets for living right? Well, I do. My philosophy is two wrongs don't make a right, but three left turns do. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Immortal words of Mrs. Paul Revere. I don't care who's coming, it's my night to use the horse. <laughs> Look, I was wondering, why are tubas used in country bands, man? Because they're heavy metal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, howdy, Missy. How's everything going? Well, uh, a fellow with double vision came to see me for help and I couldn't get a hold of Doc Cooper, so I just fixed him up and sent him home. Ah, uh, Misty Darling, you can't fix double vision. Well, I did. I just taped one of his eyes shut. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jenna, what's wrong with your arm? Well, I broke it in four places. Well, if I were you, I'd stay out of them places. <laughs> well, I have a question for you. All right. Uh, what, what do you get when you play country music backwards? Well, you get back your wife, your uh -huh. dog, and your truck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jenna. What, Misty? Do you think a woman should have children after 35? 35? Well, I think 35 children is enough for anybody. Oh! <laughs> 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 well, now, 
Gov, I was wondering how many singers does it take to change a light bulb? Well, it takes one to do it and one to sing a song about all the good times that he had with the old light bulb. I think my life as I know it is now over, for sure. Probably so. <laughs> Would you please make welcome the Cornfield friends, Lulu Rowan, Jenna Jay, Misty Rowe, and Buck Trent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, 50 years of Hee Haw. I mean, it's, it's incredible to me, but that show was an unexpected hit. I don't think CBS had any idea that they'd put that show on and it would just run to the top of the ratings and it would stay on the air for so long. W were you guys surprised at how popular Hee Haw was during its run? Lulu? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. Were you? You were surprised. Well, when they... Buck found me, okay. Buck, Buck Owens. Owens. Uh-huh. And I was not into country music. I was a hippie kid. I really? ate LSD and ran around in water fountains. <laughs> 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 and then I met the Lord and my whole life changed. And then in the midst of all that, doing hee-haw, okay, uh, I learned to love the people first. Mm. And then I learned to love the music. You know, kind of Janet, backwards. you have been on our stage tonight playing with uh, Trey Corley and the band. But yeah, I mean, wonderful. they are wonderful, and you made them even better tonight. Oh, when you were a part of Hee Haw, was there something that you just couldn't wait every week to get to do? Well, it was to play my blue fiddle, yeah. my magic blue fiddle. And when they first gave it to me, Governor, I was horrified because I had a good 1750 Italian violin. Whoa. I thought, how can I play a blue electric fiddle on television? It'll ruin me. But I did it, and they would write to the girl with the blue fiddle. And so it became a trademark, and I'm still playing it, and I love it. Same fiddle? Same fiddle. There it is. A little bit worse for wear here and there, but... Every little mark is a, it's a mark of distinction. Hee-haw distinction. Misty Rowe, you uh, were a part of that uh, cornfield cast and regularly did so many of those skits. Did you ever do some jokes and just said, that's not funny, I am not going to do that? Other than the ones you said that about today. Oh. We... <laughs> well, when they first hired me, I was very young and I was very shy. And they put me behind Buck Owens and Roy Clark clapping and smiling. <laughs> And six hours later, I was clapping and smiling, and I thought, this show isn't going to last six months. <laughs> and I was on it for 19 years. <laughs> 19 years. Uh -huh. and, and, and Buck, you know, you have continued to play music. You're now in Branson. Uh, but back in the day, yeah, you a worked time. a lot with Roy Clark, both on Hee Haw oh, yeah. and then beyond. Was oh, he not one of the most amazing musicians? Uh, Roy ever? Clark, one of the great entertainers of all time. He was. He was really good. Yeah. No kidding, he is a great entertainer, great singer. And a great guitar player. Yeah. There are a lot of iconic moments uh, from the old Hee Haw. You met another and you were gone. <laughs> and uh, you know, s some of those, I understood that the phrase picking and grinning actually came from Hee Haw, is that right? Oh yeah. Because yeah. I thought it was just something that had been around for a hundred years and I oh. heard that it was a Hee Haw original. Yeah. All right. right. And you know, after 50 years, we are taking Cornfield friends, our Hee Haw friends, on the road well, that's... in Roy Clark's bus. Well, Absolutely. what a delight to have you here. And uh, Megan, you. I want you to get Thank me BR549. And why don't you tell the people at home how we can keep up with our Cornfield friends? To get touring and ticket information for the Cornfield Friends starring the original cast members of Hee Haw, Jana Jay, Lulu Roman, Buck Trent, and Misty Rowe, please go to their website, cornfieldfriends.com, and that is Cornfield with a K, folks. Next, Mike gets out his bass guitar and joins the Cornfield Friends in a musical tribute to Hee Haw on Huckabee. 
It was in August of 1967 in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee that songwriters Felice and Boodlow Bryant checked into room 388 at the Gatlinburg Inn. There, the two wrote a song about a beautiful spot they found in the area. The song they wrote... Rocky Top has become iconic and became a fan favorite when performed on Hee Haw. Here to celebrate it, will you please welcome the original cast members of Hee Haw, Lulu Roman, Misty Rowe, Jana Jay, and Buck Trent, the Cornfield Friends. Oh, yeah. 